every single one of the folks that we investigated, terminated, and or prosecuted passed the background check. So what we have found is it's not a good, reliable indicator of success or integrity on the job. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. How to become a human lie detector. No, I'm kidding, but actually, am I? Today, we're going to be talking with Alan Sakella, formerly head of investigations at Cox, now at Embry-Riddle University and previously with a career in government. He's got the skill set to look at interrogations and lie detector tests. He's taken it to the corporate world. And today we're going to be looking at its application in the round to EP, including wider topics like background checks, but also the skill set involved and whether or not we can replicate it through technology. I'm here with Elijah Shaw. Elijah, is this exciting in this crimbo limbo period? First of all, I need to know what crimbo limbo means. But <laughs> it's, it's the period in between Christmas and New Year. Oh, OK. I'm a little bit off on that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the wonderful thing about the Circuit Podcast is we, we bring all these different views and opinions and perspectives from all around the world. And particularly when we get these subject matter experts that, you know, that operate in, in an area that, you know, maybe we don't spend a lot of time in. And so when you think about, you know, lie detection, when you think about the things that you uh, that have to come into doing a successful background check, whether that's vetting uh, potential staff, whether that's vetting the potential client, you know, all of these things come into play. And so anything that makes us better in that is ultimately going to make us better protectors. I like it. And do you think, you know, there's often been a complaint that some clients simply want EP and they don't know what they're buying, but equally, some EP teams might rush the vetting process to meet the needs, which are very, very short-term requirements. 100%. And I think part of that is, is just the lack of knowledge. Uh, unfortunately, we see when that goes wrong and then it hits the headlines and then people go, oh, why didn't they do their due diligence? Um, you know, we, we are a brotherhood in the sense that if someone is referred to us, we put a lot of stock into that. However, there are some boxes that we really need to check uh, strategically in order to you know, cover our own asses. And one of the things that I know Alan is a big proponent of is, and this, this might sound harsh, but a clean uh, rap sheet doesn't mean they're not offending. That just means they haven't been caught. Now that, mm. that, that is guilty until proven innocent. I yeah. know that's a bit of a different thing. But it is an interesting way to look at it that unless you do some sort of personality profiling or intent profiling, I don't know, through lie detection uh, or other means, it, it's going to be a bit tricky. Um, obviously, this is this is minority report. And it's not the first time we mentioned minority report on uh, on the second podcast. I do know that. But I think that we're on to something. This festive period, do you think people are going to do uh, due diligence whilst you know they've had this bit of downtime well one would hope so and maybe you know after listening to this episode uh, listening to him talk and, and getting his perspective you go oh well you know what i wasn't putting as much emphasis as i should have been on these areas here and again i circle back to the fact that 
we see the horror stories. We'll read, you know, the paper about, hey, this person did this or um, uh, this person did this. And, and they go, you know, we didn't know. However, if you dig into that person's history, maybe there were some red flags. Maybe there were some uh, pre-indicators that would have let us know. And so anything that gives us additional insights to, to help ourselves be more effective as a team or uh, help us make better judgment decisions, I, I think is a plus. A plus indeed. And let's bring the spirits up. I know it's in between Christmas and New Year. So wait, wait, what did you call it again? Crimbo Limbo. <laughs> It's that limbo period. No more IPSP, no more uh, Christmas and and only a, a little time till New Year. We're going to have to lift people's spirits, keep the party going with interrogation and uh, the effect uh, for the EP community. Let's hear from Alan Sakella, great friend of the industry. Looking forward to it. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. Checking the suitability of candidates in the security sector using technology. Today, we're here with Alan Sakella, Professor of Corporate Security, Security Investigations and Interrogation at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University College of uh, security business and intelligence what a pleasure to have you on board how are you doing very well Alan. thanks for having me yeah it's a it's a it's a very timely uh, time to have you on actually because a lot of people are talking about uh robot selectors uh for you know cv sifting and i and i think throughout this process it'd be nice to dispel some some myths and and look at some uh, big advantages but but right off the bat Let's do our three quick fire questions um, to sort of get us going. What is this technology seeking to solve for? What, what problem exists within the industry that, that you're trying to solve right now? Well, Alan, that's a great question. So I'm going to take you back. So if you think back to the old selection processes for candidates, you know, historically, um, there's a background check, there's a criminal background check, reference checks. Uh, verification of education, certifications, licenses. You know, a lot of those are good, but where where a lot of the issues come is out of predicting success in the workplace. So uh, a criminal background check, and I'll get into it more deeply, is, uh, is failing to predict success or in, even integrity in the workplace. So we're looking for ways to enhance the selection process to make sure you have the right people in positions to do the right job, as well as uh, better predictors of integrity and success on the job. Okay, okay, I can see that. That'd be that'd, that'd be very very handy, especially with a with a, with a glut of uh, applications. Um, what about you? Uh, where, where does your passion for this uh, come from? My passion comes from uh, my history. So. Interestingly enough, I started my career off in law enforcement, and I was a polygraph examiner, and I did a lot of polygraphs, light detection, if you will, uh, on the pre-employment selection side. Of course, that's a great investigative tool. It's able to pull out a lot of information from your candidates. Uh, of course, the, the Polygraph Protection Act of 1989 eliminated use for most corporate and private sector applications. So the evolution of background checks had to change because that was eliminated. Uh, criminal background checks have always been part of that. Uh, the issue I found is that in my career, 
And with all the internal investigations that were conducted by members of my team, as well as myself, every single one of the folks that we investigated, terminated, and were prosecuted passed the background check. They passed the criminal background check as well as all the other checks that we did. So what we have found is it's not a good, reliable um, indicator of success or integrity on the job. And so what is there? What else is out there to be a better predictor? And that's, that's been my passion for decades, looking for something else, something that will help better uh, prepare us and also select those candidates who are not only going to be productive, but also have high integrity. Okay, I like it. So what then, considering our, our audiences, you know, it's part corporate security, part executive protection, um, uh, you know, generally physical security specialists, um, what should the completely uninitiated better know about this, you know, need to check backgrounds? Um, is, it, is it just that, uh, you know, fresh skins simply haven't create, you know, done anything wrong yet? What should they really better understand if they, if they know very little about this topic? Well, it's important to know that employees that come to work, the, the, the traditional background check is not a predictor of behaviors. You know, if you, if you look at some of the publications by some of the most uh, uh, esteemed psychologists like B.F. Skinner, Albert Ellis, and Walter Michael, we know that past behavior is a predictor of future behavior. Unfortunately, the selection tools that we use are not good predictors. And so because we're using history and records to predict future behavior, those don't work. What you have to do is look at what are the behaviors from the past, because those behaviors will be replicated in the future. We generally continue those behaviors. What's also important to know that most people that have committed crimes that are convicted, that is not the first time they committed a crime. There might be a hundred crimes that committed before they got caught. So if a person is not caught, they're hired, those behaviors are going to continue. The background check will never identify those types of behaviors. So we have to, to, to be thinking about that and looking for better solutions. Okay. So what sort of what sort of behaviors are we talking about that we that we want to uh, to, to pick up on? I mean, uh, some people sort of talk about a criminal mindset, uh, you know, a, a quite a simple switch in in someone's brain where instead of working hard, uh, progressing, and then earning some money and then achieving the purchase of a big you know a big big thing, they think, hang on, I'll just take it. Um, you know, is it that simple, or, or or are there other behaviors we're looking for? No, there's quite a few behaviors we're looking for. So. For example, I'll give you an example. So in an integrity type situation where you're, where you're screening, and I hate to use the word integrity test because it's not really an integrity test, it's more of a behavioral assessment, is if you ask someone a question, whether it be in person or on a computer or on a test, if you will, um, what should happen to a person that takes $1,000 from their employer? And there are five choices. Uh, and of course, the right answer is they should terminated um, or something similar to that instead of there'll be some options like well it depends if this was their first time or not uh, be uh, it, uh, anything over a thousand dollars would be a problem so what you're looking for is behaviors that this the candidate would align with so we know that psychologists uh, known through years of study that a person who has propensity or has done these things in the past tends to align with wanting to be easier on the on the, the culprit and because that's how they would want to be treated 
if they were caught stealing from the company. So the behaviors have to be pulled out through some sort of an assessment, uh, which uh, uh, that we'll be talking about a little bit later. So those types of things are now available and are also available for technology for screening. But surely all a company needs is one Alan Sakella. Surely that's all they need. Or are we facing a deluge of CD- CVs uh, to sift through? Uh, no, there's a deluge uh, because look, look what's going on. The great resignation right now. Uh, because of COVID, we have the United States, 4 million people have quit their jobs without another job. And now, sooner or later, they're going to have to start looking for employment. And those resumes are going to be going out. They're going to be applying for positions and so forth. And so we have a lot of positions open across the country. We have a lot of people that will be looking for those positions. So we're going to have to sift through those those candidates. There's several screens that the candidate goes through, like the applicant tracking system. That's that automated system that's going to reject, let's say, resumes based on keywords if it doesn't match the job description. That's your first screen. And then after that, you'll make it through the first round of recruiters. And then, of course, you go through a series of interviews. The background check is usually last. And the reason it's last one is it's, uh, it's both uh, because of cost, but also because of most recent regulation. So federally, and in our federal laws, it required the removal of asking if they were convicted of a crime. That has to come at the offer. So it's contingent based on an offer. We're going to do a background check on you, but here's your offer. If you cleared a background, of course, you'd be hired. There's another law that's going through the state. Several states have now. It's called ban the box. Ban the box is you can't ask them on the application if they've been convicted of a crime. So they're following the federal law, whereas you uh, will get an offer contingent of passing the background check. And there's several states that are also restricting uh, how far back you can check, what types of crimes you can uh, reject a person for. In some cases, there's a, in some of the states, there's a presumption that if a person has been uh, a person has been re- rehabilitated after five years. That's preposterous. You know, so behaviors generally don't change if they're ingrained. And a person has committed a, a crime five years ago. And, and again, we know that they were convicted five years ago. How many did they commit prior? The behavior's already there. So is that really going to be a good selection criteria? And so we, again, that's the reason for this technology and bounce back. So, so, so how is this technology then created? Because you have an illustrious career. You have a very deep understanding of interrogation. How can that be replicated, duplicated, you know, scaled out in, in, in technology? Uh, that's a great question. So what uh, the company that I will talk about a little bit in the technology later on has done what they did is they took the best of the best out there. They worked with psychologists. They developed an automated process of screening by looking at what we've used traditionally in the selection process. So there's a lot of different types of selection tools that were used. They looked at the wording of the questions and looked at the different types of things we want to screen for. For example, workplace violence, embezzlement, fraud, sabotage, uh, sexual harassment just a whole host of things. And so as they develop the questions, what, what we know historically from research is that, and of course examples, is that um, 
the behaviors, again, solidified in the past. And we're looking to select for them. We also know that when a person is asked questions, is someone who plans on lying, again, this goes back to my, even my polygraph days, when a person lies about something that's concerning to them, such as, tell them about this, I may be rejected, so I better lie. So just by that thought, what happens? You have a delay in your response. So we know that the person that takes longer to respond to a question, a person that hovers with their mouse on yes or no, or checks no, then go to yes, uh, is somebody that we need to take a closer look at. So the, the process is using algorithms, artificial intelligence, to look at the behaviors, the movements uh, of the individual. And also, in some cases, the eye movement, because uh, you're looking at the face as well. And, of course, uh, we know through history, through screening, through all this technology, both verbal, nonverbal behaviors are different for those who intend to be deceptive versus those who plan to be truthful. So what, what the process then does is it leads them down a path. The questions are tailored to the response. So if a person uh, answers slower, they're going to get a different follow-up question. It's going to lead. If they, they may even time out, and a little note will come up and say, I noticed you took longer than normal to, to, uh, to uh, uh, select an answer. Um, we're going to rephrase it, but please be truthful when you answer this question. Again, this is all based on uh, studies that we were trying to convince them to be truthful. So we're looking for self-admissions as well. Because self-admissions and self-disclosure, again, is getting at the true behavior of the past. And so let's think of the end game. Uh, you know, the goal that we have in using such technology, it's to find not the ideal candidate, because ideally we will have found the ideal candidate by this stage, but we want to find out, have they hidden anything? We want to find out their, apt their attitude rather than their aptitude. Um how can we then confront them with a score based on telemetrics from a automated system? How can we confront them? Because surely we'll end up with highly qualified candidates being rejected and they'll be simply told that the computer said no, or is it more complex than that? Yeah, actually what happens is at the end of these types of surveys, and there's three types, there's a pre-employment screening survey, which is used for that purpose of screening. There is a specific um, tool that's used for, let's say, identifying criminal activity within the organization specific to a very specific crime. Or if a company wants to just see the overall temperament and attitude of the, the workforce, they can do what they call some sort of random screening. So in each case, what happens is a person gets categorized in a green, yellow, or red bu a bucket, if you will. If they, uh, if they fall into the red, um, that's like in, in a pre-employment setting, that would be an automatic rejection. Right? So that, again, is based on a lot of valid and reliable studies of this technology. We know that that person has a high propensity of repeating past behavior. And in, in some case, well, in all cases, if they, if they show up red, it's because they made admissions during the survey. They admitted to some crimes. So, for example, one of the questions may be, and during your employment, what is the most amount of money you took that did, did not belong to you? Well, and, and they give you five choices. One is zero. The rest are different dollar amounts. If, a, if in, in their incremental, the person says they, they took $1,000 in cash, uh, that's a self-admission. And there's, there's other questions related to workplace violence. Have you ever punched somebody at work? Have you ever, you know, whatever. 
different choices. Again, the uh, the self-admission shows that there's some problems with that behavior. And that's not somebody you want to employ. Now, those who fall into yellow are the ones that will have follow-up. And so they would be contacted by the HR organization and or whoever is doing the screen to get some additional follow-up to questions that might categorize them as yellow. Green means they're hireable in a pre-employment setting. And in an investigatory type setting, they're going to still fall in one of those categories. The investigators then going to use the reds to do a follow-up in-person interview, may lead into an interrogation because they might have made some admissions specific to the crime at hand. And yellow may mean they might not have been involved in the crime, but they have information about it or they witnessed it and they know who is doing it. So again, that may also require an in-person interview. So the technology is a tool. It's like anything. It's like cameras. You know, you have cameras that have now video analytics and also facial recognition. They give you a better and clearer picture, but we also know that depending on the angle of the camera, you don't always always see everything. So there's still going to have to be some human intervention and follow-up to validate what what's being interpreted. And so I'd be interested. I know you said that in 1989, polygraphs were um, less uh, desired, uh, shall we say. Um, uh, but, but, but how does this technology hold up against that in your opinion not 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 the opinion of those who have discounted polygraphs but but in your opinion how how, how does it compare well that's a that's a very good question well, um so let me give you a little history about polygraph so polygraph is basically a tool that records what's going on inside of your body heart rate blood pressure galvanic skin response which is perspiration at the fingertips as well as respiration so it's based on the premise that when a person lies at something threatening to them, they have an autonomic nervous system response. Uh, and so with that, it's a flight or fight reaction. Your body prepares you to run or fight. And so we can't control that in a polygraph setting. We ask a question, which is the stimulus. Did you shoot John Jones? Um, if he shot John Jones, he's going to have an autonomic nervous system flight or fight reaction where I'm going to see blood pressure, respiration. Uh, sweating uh, responses on the polygraph. And so it's very, very effective when it's used by a very well-skilled, trained polygraph examiner. So what the examiner has to trace the questions. And being a polygraph examiner is not just asking questions and determining truth or, uh, or not. Uh, we're looking for changes in a person's normal physiology to the question. And of course, uh, the response will show up on the chart. Uh, and then we compare that to a control question. Uh, so I know I'm probably confusion is probably way over most of uh, people's heads. I mean, the, the polygraph itself is also an investigative tool. It's not the end all. Uh, it does have some significance and reliability depending on a type of exam and also the skills of the polygraph examiner. The polygraph has, takes a lot of time, a lot of resources, money to screen if you're going to do a pre-employment screening so here's the differences getting to your question polygraph may take a pre-employment polygraph to take two hours uh, for a low-level position and maybe a half a day depending on a law enforcement polygraph screening in some cases a full day it's a high security level uh, screening this technology expedites the process you could have a person go through it you'll have a good idea about whether you want to hire somebody within just a few minutes. The whole survey can take less than 45 minutes. 
and there's no prep time. It's as simple as clicking on a link and then answering the questions. So reliability is very good. Validity, of course, backs it up as well. We have to have other tools. Like I said, the Polygraph Protection Act has, in fact, limited the use of polygraph in a public setting, with the exception of drug manufacturers, security folks. Uh, it has to be a very specific crime that occurs. And so it, because of the restrictions, most employers have gone away from it. So they've been looking for other tools. But again, to answer your question, I, I like this new technology. I'm still certified as a polygraph examiner. I still do some polygraphs and presentations on it. But it's a lot of work, and really, I don't see the application of it in the corporate world. Um, again, we have to come up with something, and I think this new technology is the way to go. Okay. But one thing over here, at least, there is um, a complaint, not about the lack of background checking in, in terms of, you know, not uh, people's behaviors and, and people's truthfulness and people's character, but there seems to be a complaint about a lack of any check, especially in some of the less formal uh, settings. So corporations, I can imagine they have a pr process, a structure, an HR department. But with, with, with some of the executive protection uh, community uh, working for ultra high net worth and family offices and, and, and private offices, sometimes there is a complaint that they don't even want to do a background check um, at all they just want a service like they want an uber and they and they don't they don't look into what they're what they're buying i suppose by that i'm sort of asking do, do, do you see a, a a distinct divide in the corporate world where there's compliance issues and, and and maybe the more private world who yes there are compliance issues but they might they might shy away from looking under the hood um is, is that an urban myth is is, is it real I, I i'd just be interested for your thoughts no, that's a very big concern. And so when I tried to test some of this stuff with my previous employer, they were concerned that we would be rejecting too many people. They wouldn't be making it through the screening process. So you instead decide not to do a background check, right? And this particular person who's doing this job commits a crime. Where's the, where's the liability? Where's the issue? I mean, you have a lot more issues later on. I'll give you a great example. Uh, where not doing the right check can lead to some significant problems. So we had a, a technician that was working for us in my previous organization, uh, was doing an installation in a customer's home, befriended um, uh, the, the kid that lived there with his parents, started dealing with drugs, of course that's bad enough. Uh, he would regularly go back to this technician and uh, make a drug exchange. Ultimately, the uh, individual uh, technician uh, was not getting paid for the per uh, for the drugs provided to the twenty year old, and it resulted in homicide where the uh, drug dealer killed him. Uh, you can imagine uh, how much that cost us to settle that for wrongful death. Uh, and so they, when we look back, because you always look back, uh, how did this person get hired? Well, in that case, somehow or another, he didn't go through a background check. So similar to what you're saying, if you just want to kind of believe it's not an issue. Let's not look at it because one, we want to hire this person in a hurry for whatever the motivation is. You're leaving yourself wide open. There's got to be some screening. So, yes, I understand. Criminal background checks, employment verification, uh, education checks, checking for licensing, 
fingerprint checks. All that stuff's very, very costly by the time you go through the whole process. What I'm saying is there are some tools out there, uh, similar to what I'm speaking of, that can automate and, of course, also do the background or do the assessment very quickly with high validity and reliability, uh, success and integrity. So, and at a much lower cost than, let's say, doing all of those things. So, I think they may just not be aware of the tools out there. Because as I speak about this technology, everybody says, really? This stuff exists? Well, you know, there's other countries like Israel have developed it and use it and do a very good job. Uh, we're just starting to see it here in the United States. And, and I guess maybe a more procedural thing. Um, if, if I'm a big corporation, then I have a compliance department. I've got my legal counsel. I know about data protection and, and all of that. What if I'm you know, a smaller company and I want to do this? Um, what should I think about in terms of who has what data? Where does it go? How, does it, how is it held? How is it handled? Um, I mean, of course, each you know, state has a different uh, privacy law and data protection thing. And I, I, know, I know you can't generalize, but, but, but what, what consideration should the smaller company, because bear in mind, a lot of our listeners are from the uh, uh, private security EP world. What, what should they consider you know, with regards to well, what, where do the answers go? If I want to have a better word. Yeah, well, that's a great question as well. Think about all these companies, big and small, today use a third party to run background checks. Most of it is not done in, internally. So you have to have, obviously, um, some um, uh, policies in place uh, as part of the contracts that you're signing with these companies that are doing this stuff for you. Uh, it is protected. Uh, the, just like would be in these types of assessments. The information in this particular one I'm talking about goes back to the employer so that the uh, company doesn't hold it. They don't retain it. It's going to be retained by the uh, smaller company, larger company, whatever it may be. So, but, I mean, if, if they don't want to retain it, of course, uh, it's going to be destroyed. So it's just a matter of what their policies are. They should certainly counsel uh, someone in their legal department or find someone externally as part of the agreement to use this type of technology. So just like any type of background check, you got to protect that data. And how, how does this compare to personality tests? Because m- many people have been through some sort of HR process uh, where they've said, right, we want our team to get on a little bit better. Let's, let's send you through Myers-Briggs. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, there are, there, are other, there are other things to do with color or emotional intelligence. Um, and, and I think there's a Goldman's EQ test or something like that. But um, how does this compare to that? Because I, I guess at the end of the day, we want to, you know, find out undesirable traits. And maybe Myers-Briggs is not about desirable, undesirable. It's literally about let's understand how an introvert will, you know, get the best out of their work experience and, and, and let's understand how someone that judges more than perceives and blah, 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 you know, um, but, but, but how, how, how does this compare with that? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's so many assessments out there and, and we used to use them at my last company and a company before that. It's really what you're trying to get at. Most of these assessments that you're speaking of are very good at looking at how people work together, leadership capabilities, and again, they're going to be used, and they have quite a great deal of success as well. Uh, they compare in a way that they're very reliable and, of course, valid. Uh, where, where they differ is that this is getting at the undesirable behaviors 
that you don't want in a workplace specific to those types of things we're screening for, such as workplace violence, theft, sabotage, behaviors that uh, nobody wants. And so if you can screen these people out in advance uh, as they go through these other assessments, we're going to certainly be more um, amenable to uh, developing and becoming uh, a reliable, good-working uh, employee. Okay, no, that's that's fair enough. That's, that's that's actually very clear. Actually, as I was asking the question, I was suddenly thinking, oh yeah, we're we're looking at uh, working better together versus criminality. It's yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but 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 also one of the things you know that the EP community is big on is uh, more skills. They love it. They love more skills. I don't know what it is. It's just um, they, they they're continually improving themselves. Um, maybe maybe some of their backgrounds um, mean that they're particularly good at learning. I don't know. Um, I'm not trying to blow smoke at our community, but they, they love developing themselves. So it, it, aside from the technology, looking at you and your career in, in investigations, what should they do if they wanted to, st to start to bring some of that skill set into their, into their wheelhouse? H how can they start? You know, free employment screens, obviously, I think once you have identified the right candidates and you bring them on board, a lot of that's the skills development have to occur once they're inside the employment setting. You know, we're seeing it in education as well. I work for a private university, and what we're, what we're hearing from employers is we want experience, we want certifications, we want skills. And so I'm going to give you just an illustration. So I was talking to a friend of mine who's a chair of a public unit. As I was explaining to them what Henry Riddleston, we're providing certifications, skills training capabilities. Uh, these kids are coming out with very remarkable skills. And this particular chair said, we don't want to do that. That's not our focus. We want to teach our students to think. We don't give them skills. We teach theory. Well, that's great. But they come out with no skill set. We don't know where they are, how they're going to fit. And so... The marketplace is unforgiving to candidates. They want skills. They want capable people. They want experience specific to the whatever they're looking for. So we as a society, we as a nation, we as uh, employers need to be thinking about doing that and doing what we need for these companies and these, these people. We owe it to the next generation coming into our industry. You know, it's interesting also, I did a presentation, I was interviewing situation about uh, Gen Z, uh, next generation, of course. I didn't know a lot about Gen Z, and so I had to do a little research, but what I found out was Gen Z uh, was uh, raised during the Great Recession, so they saw a lot of their parents lose their jobs, they were working on tight budgets. I'm excited about Gen Z because these kids are coming up with, uh, they want loyalty, and they're looking for job security. They like to differentiate themselves from the generation before them. So I think uh, I'm excited about that. I look forward to seeing them come in because they're a lot more open-minded to development, skills. They're looking for those certifications. And, of course, uh, that's going to help us on the entry level. Uh, Mid-level, mid a little bit different. But I think uh, overall, we just have to uh, start putting together tools that are going to help us screen out the undesirables to start developing the skills once they're employed. But what if someone wanted to be like you? 
specifically i'll have to ask this because you're here i know i know maybe some of the you know polygraph screening opportunities in the world are diminishing because of tech and because of laws and whatever i know i know but i mean i i once picked up a book and it, it, it talked about ah look look at the 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 eyes the eyes look down when they're feeling or imagining something they look up when they're doing something else and they look left and right and and maybe some people will will go down a a, a bit of an a, a hokey uh, uh, type of type of path if they pick up the wrong book. Um, if if they want to be like you specifically, it, what what can they do? Well, you know, certainly they're going to have to get formal education, and for sure you definitely want that. One of the things that I specifically uh, focused on, especially in, in the pre-employment aspects, looking to help employers with. Employees is understanding human psychology is very, you know, at the university I teach, they have a psychology part as well. They teach detection of deception. Uh, so, you know, you have to start setting and getting your mindset on. Humans are going to continually to rule. Someone has to develop, design, and uh, invent these computers, these systems. And so we're always going to be there's going to be a human element. So to, to get into this field, get into this world, um, get get involved with uh, what is necessary to be able to be successful in investigating for important screening deal with humans. And then, of course, look for opportunities, especially coming in, to find a mentor, find a strong mentor who's going to be able to align with you, meet with you periodically, and help guide you uh, through the career path. It's one of the things I do on a regular basis. Throughout my career, I've always taken out mentees helping them develop, because I want to give back. I'm not going to be in this industry forever. And what's going to be behind me? And so I want to leave a legacy. And so uh, development, formal education, find a mentor uh, that look to be the best in whatever you're in. Uh, I tell my daughter, I tell every kid that I'm mentoring, don't just be average. Mediocre uh, doesn't cut. Get into something, be passionate about it, uh, and soar with your, your uh, strengths. There's a book out there called Soar with Your Strength. And so forget about all the stuff you're terrible at. Focus on the things you're good at and then be the best. And, of course, you are going to be the best over time. You're going to be an expert if you soar with your strengths. Great sentiment. Love it. Well, then, well, then what's next uh, What's next for you? We're, we're sort of coming up on uh, 2022 and, uh, you know, lots of interesting things um, in the news and, you know, in, in the world of security um, uh, around the world. What, what about you? What's, what's, uh, what's next for you? you know, I spent a lot of time in the uh, corporate world, polygraph part of that. For me, it's given back. I like education. Uh, I taught when I was a graduate assistant. I didn't know anything from anything. And so, uh, but I knew one day I wanted to give back. And I, and I do it in a way of mentoring and continue to do that, helping kids build their LinkedIn profiles, writing their resumes. Of course, now I'm teaching with real work the experiences that I can share with kids. And so that's next. Uh, that's certainly going to uh, be on my forefront here until probably I retire. But in addition to that, I like to also help the industry. And so I keep my hands in the security consulting arena as well as working with this company, Forensics, which uh, is the company involved about that does a lot of stuff. If you're interested, you know, certainly forensics.com, more about it. But I'm going to keep my hand in the industry, uh, and I'm also going to stay in education so I can get back. 
I like it, and 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 I, and I really love the uh, the work of Embry Riddle uh, Aeronautical University. Um, uh, had some had some great speakers at events uh, from from the, the the very same university, and, and of course you've very kindly spoken at uh, at uh, our events before, which is which is fantastic. Well, Alan, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think this is a real treat because the corporate security world, the EP world, they don't understand how much they need this, and maybe they don't understand how much they need your skill set and the skill set provided by technology. I think massive questions that we could keep on going and asking, but I think this is a very, very good tour de force around the subject. Um, Alan, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for your time. Alan, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. So are you now an interrogator, Elijah? Are we all interrogators? <laughs> is, is this even something a CP colleague could aspire to be? Well, I, I think the discussion, you know, brought up a lot of good topics and gave some food for thought. And so, you know, obviously here's someone who has extensive experience in the, uh, the FBI. And so, you know, he's done deep dives into these subjects. Uh, for us as, as, as agents, as protectors, we can be able, the question is if we'll be able to incorporate some of those things into our toolbox. And I think the answer is yes. Indeed. And even if it's a short course on behavioral science, behavioral analysis, I know Miranda is a, is a great proponent of that. Maybe it's just something that would spark an interest. And, 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 that, and that idea that perhaps a lot of people have yet to commit something in plain sight, they've yet to be caught, doesn't mean they haven't done it. And so we need to switch this mindset of, I did a background check. What did you do? I pulled the criminal records and there were none. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we need to kind of switch that mindset. A little bit like developed vetting, uh, which is what the UK does when it wants to really do some nice vetting of its uh, government staff. And um, I think, I think we, can, we can incorporate that. And the other point was he does believe that technology could solve the gap in proper due diligence because no matter how much we complain, oh, they haven't done the due diligence on hiring a team X, Y, and Z, it, it's about time and money. So do you think technology could plug that gap? Oh, okay, so my short answer is yes. I think that was probably maybe a, a, one of the things that would throw up a, a red flag to some people uh, because there is a fear, and we've had these discussions on previous episodes of the podcast, there is a fear that you know, too much tech is going to replace us, um, you know, replace these roles that we normally would be doing ourselves. Uh, however, I think if we look at the technology as assisting us, uh, helping us do these jobs, then it, it just, it's just a force multiplier. It will be worth it, you know, and, and if you're not doing anything, then absolutely, this is going to be of value. And then, uh, you know, whether or not you want to hire a proper investigator or become one, I think, mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a wider question. I don't, well, we, 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 we've all heard these, you know, uh, some version of the story where you've got the, the automated uh, system that reviews the applications and the AI just automatically rejects, uh, you know, people for whatever criteria that might not be fair so we have to keep that part in mind so i think that's why it's essential to kind of develop these skills ourselves and then use those alongside technology and, and kind of bridge that gap that's a, that's a great point because you don't want them building in some biases conscious or unconscious 
where suddenly, oh no, you acted in that way, right. and yeah. that way is bad. Uh, whereas you know, it's it's just a nuance. But overall, I'm I, I really enjoyed uh, you know delving into this topic. As I said at the beginning, crimbo limbo. It's often difficult to know what to do in between the Christmas New Year period, but even more difficult, I suppose, in between the IPSB New Year period. Um, and you are fresh-ish off the back of IPSB. So I, so I thought I would take this opportunity to ask, uh, how was the EP forum and uh, IPSB Close Protection Conference? Yeah, I mean, I had a really good time. It was in Vegas. Um, again, there were two events that were back-to-back. -back. Uh, the first one was the EP forum. Uh, and that was hosted by Byron Rogers, Christian West, and a couple other gentlemen. And uh, it was very impressive. We had a, a good turnout. Uh, they asked me to speak. I didn't put anybody to sleep. So I guess that's a, a win in my, in my book. Uh, and then after that, moving into the greater conference itself, the turnout was massive. I think it was uh, over 600 people. Uh, and I think that was a direct result of, you know, everyone having been uh, siloed because of COVID. <clears throat> and so, you know, coming back out, the world reopening up, knock on wood, uh, I think people were just excited to get out, see each other, communicate with each other, you know, pass the business cards, network, and also learn something new. And, and I think that happened over the weekend. And, and I was able to watch remotely one panel that you're on, talking about online learning and in-person learning. Oh, yeah, and that I was kind of a fiery one. That was that was quite quite the panel, wasn't it? Um, lots of lots of opinions, and even sometimes I felt to say hybrid was uh, offensive to some people. So so whatever 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 you say, I feel it's going to ruffle some feathers. Um, well, I I think that speaks to the fact that you know our, our community um, it spans a, a lot of different thoughts and and processes and uh, and opinions, and so particularly at something like that where you have these these different schools of thought, no pun intended, uh, in the same room. Uh, and, you know, people can be like, hey, I'm right, or here's a different way of looking at it. And and I think even though there were differences of opinion, everyone was still civil about it and left learning uh, more than maybe they walked in the door with. They did. And lots and lots of content, lots of food for thought. And, and I really feel that perhaps the community moved forward. Uh, not least because it got to meet each other again. So many happy faces. Um, but what's next for you? Are you making the most of the Crimbo Limbo? Are you getting ready for new New Year's uh, events? Uh, you know, th this is a welcome. And, I, and I, just, I just got off an assignment uh, two days ago. So this is a welcome period of downtime for me. Uh, I usually don't even get that during the holidays. And so I am taking it in stride. So in... in um, on the other outside of doing this podcast and a couple more recordings we have to do for some future stuff with the circuit media, uh, I'm not going to do much until New Year's. Uh, and then I'll just be prepping for the next year. Love it. And that maybe is a great adage prep for the next year. Do your due diligence on yourself, on your life, on everything. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making a segue from today's interview. You do the best segues, bro. I just got to tell you that. Uh, sometimes they have to be brutal. I don't know. <laughs> Um, those, those are called smash cuts right there. There you go. I like that. Smash cuts. See, you taught, I taught you Crimbo Limbo. Now you taught me smash cuts. There you are. Let's, let's uh, take this opportunity to thank the community for all their hard work and support this whole year. Um, it's been great on the 
Naba app and the BBA Connect app and on the magazine, on the podcast. All of you, you've been awesome. This is our 50th episode. So that is really oh, great that's news. amazing. 50? Can you, can you? We, we started with episode zero as well. So technically it's, you know. It's amazing. I, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I, I really look forward to what we've got in store for 2022. I, and, and here's a great thing. Uh, just, uh, well, <clears throat> again, I was just on an assignment and one of the agents that was with me, I looked down at his, his iPhone and he was listening to the podcast on it and he wow. was listening to a previous episode. He was like, yeah, I'm just playing catch up. And I just thought that was great just because, you know, having this body of work now, like you say, 50 episodes here. Uh, and, you know, while we want to remain topical, the episodes have a timelessness to them. You know, they're things that you can go back, listen to, still get something out of. Um, and they don't have to be listened to in chronological order. And so um, uh, our hope is, is that we move into the, the into the new year and we'll have a lot of fun stuff coming up there. A lot of exciting guests and a lot of engaging topics. Love it. Well, thanks to today's guest, Alan Sakella. Let's thank our co-hosts, Sean West and John Moss, uh, for being such awesome colleagues this entire year. So from Elijah and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine Podcast. Happy holidays, all. Happy holidays. See you soon. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.